What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here at Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Two weeks. Two weeks. You roll your sleeves up. It's Illinois. We welcome you in. Chris Schmidt, Mark Rainak, Will Wilson in this morning. Can find us uh, on social media at Schmidt underscore radio at Mark Skurs at uh, Willie on the radio. I still nail that. Okay, I still yep. nailed that. And you can uh, email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. lot to get to, Cranach. Some alliances to report, potentially, between the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC, per Max Olson from The Athletic. Uh, also, the the uh, <laughs> the nicked-up report uh, with uh, where Nebraska's at with tight ends two weeks in front of the Illini. And you know what? You can walk outside without having to change a shirt this morning. What's up, dude? You know, it's good to be here. And the alliance talk is interesting. Is that just a power response? And maybe we should set the table because that just came out last night. We are. Right? We're, we're going to set that table right now. You get the silverware. I'll get the dishes. Okay. So the reports are, and it's a slim report. Let's be honest. I, I don't think there's a ton of meat there, but what is being reported by the athletic by ESPN is that the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are in secret discussions. They've been chatting with one another about forming an alliance leading into November's NCAA uh, what the Constitution Committee. As they're, the NCAA is basically all bets are off. Let's get these 28 people together representing everybody from like University of California at Pennsylvania. Like, did you even know that was a thing? Um, no. Penn State and some others. <laughs> and they're going to basically rewrite the bylaws and the governance model for the NCAA. Plus, you have the power move of Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. So the three remaining conferences, sorry, Big 12, getting together, chatting, seeing if it's worth forming an alliance of sorts. What does that actually look like? I think it's just a reminder to the SEC, like, hey, y'all can do your own thing if you want in your 16-team conference, but... You need others to play. You need someone for a championship four, yeah. game. <laughs> there's 41 other institutions here that also have some clout. That's what it feels like to me, and I think it's just a an early kind of reminder warning shot. I don't know. It It is, and this is... This is a power response move. Fine, SEC, you're going to pull the pin on the hand grenade and get Oklahoma and Texas and and try and go fishing for some of our other big-name top dogs in our other leagues. Let's just pretend that a phone call was made to Clemson. Let's pretend a phone call has been made to Florida State. Let's pretend a phone call has been made to Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan to get a super 
uh, nuclear uh, galactic battle station type conference. And if you're <laughs> if you're the ACC, uh, you don't got to worry about Clemson, really, because it, it the, the buyout is almost four hundred million dollars with media rights. Notre Dame kind of likes dating your uh, your little sisters in the ACC right now for football, uh, so they're they're okay and they're they're good dating the ACC. Uh, you have the Big Ten right now. That guess what? You make more money right now per team, uh, staying the way you are versus going and just adding for the sake of adding. So this move by the SEC, which looks great to get two blue bloods. Uh, will bring you up to what the Big Ten's making, assuming that the Big Ten does not botch their next media rights go-round. But don't you, worry, Kevin Warren's got it. Well, Barry Alvarez has got it. And then you have, the Pac, then you have the Pac-12 right now that uh, they had Oregon in, they've had Washington in, and then quite frankly, they're an afterthought when it comes to the, the playoff positioning for the last few years. SC's been a bit down, Oregon's kind of climbing back up, Washington's not what they were. No more pirate in the division. You know, Cal's been eh. Uh, they've ever been great, but Stanford's not running off 11, 12 wins like they did during the Harbaugh era. So where are you at? And what I think can happen here is let's all partner up with some non-conference. Let's all partner up with votes uh, when it comes to this governance model. And our votes will outvote your vote in the SEC because – majority wins that's the play right now by these three other power five leagues versus just chopping up and raiding other leagues you know if you're the big 10 you're probably looking at okay who do we go get can we go swipe who we want in the rest of the pac 12 that would make sense to me but but then what right then the acc is kind of on an island and then there may be danger about losing a clemson clemson can show up and win 12 dude Legit in the ACC. Why go Jack with having to beat a Georgia? They're playing them this year, but why mess with having to play Georgia every year, doing a crossover with Alabama? So th- this there is some sort of response that needs to happen. Is the better response to go? All right, let's let's follow suit and go raid other conferences, or let's put our heads together as three power conferences and see if we can't. All right, outvote you when it comes to this new governance model. And the Big 12's like, can I come? And hey, no. Can I come? It's like, no, little brother. <laughs> Sorry. You call hey. the Mountain West and <laughs> and B, or the AAC, who you were too good to go take in. You had a chance to grab Central Florida and Cincinnati four years ago. Didn't want them. Idiots. Houston would have been good. The rest of the Big 12 would have freaked about it, though, if you're TCU and Baylor. But, I mean, you've got good squads in the in the remaining Big Twelve, as long as Campbell's at Iowa State, they're really good. Uh, you know, TCU's never that far away with their talent down there. Baylor's not far removed, even scandal and all, from going to New Year's Day sixes. Houston, hey, they they've been decent. I know they're they're different now, but Holgerson's able to recruit down there. So, you know, there, there's a lot that can shift. But I would I would look at some teams being absorbed by the AAC. I mean, that's that's the route I'd go. I mean, your your, your TV deal's not that much different, quite honestly, no. uh, than the AAC is without Oklahoma and Texas pounding the table for leverage. Yeah, yeah. it, it just seems like things are going to march towards 
the 16 team super conferences and the SEC was the first one to do it. Sure. And I'd prefer and six, 12. I'd prefer a 16 team super conference setup, Cranach, wouldn't you, than just like an AFC and NFC type division? Uh, yeah. And, you know, and then it's the Big Ten ACC and Pac 12 trying to figure out, you know, how that would go about. And if that's the case, so it's what, 41? So I think there's 58 teams mm-hmm. right now between the four super conferences, which means there would be like six spots left from the Big 12 or from the AAC um, that either of those conferences could pick up to get up to that 16-team number. Um, but who knows, man? Who knows? Because, you know, if let's rewind three or four years ago. <laughs> Hell, let's re- rewind 10 years ago. What's happening now? Like nobody could have predicted. Right. Nobody would have thought. Um, God, even you know, 12 years ago that Nebraska would be in the Big Ten. Nobody knew that, you know, that Texas and Oklahoma would go to the SEC or that Texas A&M or Missouri would or that Colorado would go to the Pac-12. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't I think it's early posturing. And I think it's also the teams and the conferences kind of reminding the TV partners of, you know, who has the product. Yes. You, right. You, you have the money, but we have the product. <laughs> mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Like you ain't got no money. Like you, you don't leave us behind. And let's be honest for, for the for the for the greater good of, of college football. You need it continually to to grow nationally and it's always been a very passionate regional sport and the sec that part of the country they love football the northeast they're more pro-oriented but it was nice back in the day when rutgers was ranked number two in the country for a brief period it's nice when penn state's a top five program for the northeast part of the country out west you can do a lot of things but there's more interest clearly when you got UCLA going to a Final Four and SC playing in the Rose Bowl or playing for a championship during, you know, Carroll's uh, run, or Washington's in a playoff, Oregon's doing their thing. So you need college football to continue to have that that stage, that showcase, versus it's shrinking down. It needs to continue to expand. And yeah. if you and if and if you just go all in house with one super conference, uh, a, a league of forty. It would make sense with you take your top 40, but that would cut out so many others. And let's be straight. You need you need some some regional options from an audience standpoint, TV wise. Well, and I would think, too, like any team that's in one of the super conferences now is very unlikely to be expelled. Right. <laughs> from those conferences. It just that's you know. the hope. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't want relegation. <laughs> no. Right. Like, so those are all in. And then if you go 64, you, you got to add, you know, you got to add six more teams. I what I don't think is totally realistic, which has been rumored is in the Big Ten. Maybe you add a USC. Maybe you add a UCLA for football. I get it. But I'm trying to imagine like imagine like baseball. Like is USC that would be awesome. It would finally bring the Big Ten up to give a damn level in baseball outside of Nebraska and Indiana and Michigan. But think about like I know the travel dude and volleyball and I USC and Penn State or something. I mean, come on. Oh, maybe they could meet in Kansas City. Yes, possible, possible. Maybe they can meet in Dyersville. Sure. You know how was that? Did you did you not tear up? Did you not just go wow? I watched a lot of it. Dude, I missed the end. (laughs) 
<laughs> what? I know. So stupid. I know. I did not. I did not see the ending. Other stuff happened. I didn't watch. That's the fine. Yeah. Great act. Let's dive into the tight ends and just Nebraska as we're two weeks out as uh, the big red gear up. Uh, let's define nicked up. How do you look at the word nicked up? Uh, it didn't sound from Coach Frost that the vocal X season ending. Thank God. No, but. Is is nicked up mean he'll be good in two weeks? I don't know. Uh, if if Austin Allen is in bubble wrap somewhere, that's good with me. And uh, you've got Hickman that has been getting some good reps and doing some nice things. So I don't think Nebraska's – it's not ideal. And to me, the biggest part of this is point of attack with Nebraska wanting to, to be more physical and run downhill and – God, there's a ton of things you can do with two tight end personnel, and we know vocal size. We don't know that he's out-out. We know that he's nicked up, so I don't want you to run with this that, eh, Schmidt's saying vocal No, I, I don't know. But, yeah. but, if he isn't available for Illinois, that is going to change what you want to do offensively, and it sounded like what they wanted to do offensively uh, involved a lot of vocal and Allen in a two tight end formation, and just uh, jacking with defenses. Yeah, it's it does change the dynamic there. I think there's a couple things at work here, though. I I think during the off season, the potential of the tight ends has I think become a little bit too elevated. I think Austin Allen's a good player. Mm-hmm. I think Vocalex's a good player, but it feels like people are talking about them as like all American candidates and surefire draft picks. And I kind of think the jury's still out there. Well, they still you, you got to. I mean? They got to do I, it. They got to do it more than they have. Yeah, and they got like They've, they've got to have the ability up. to do it. Yeah, but I feel like they've been talked up maybe a little too much. Like it's a it's a little overdone. And I think it's because you know of uh, look they they do have ability. They do have good size. Um, I, but I, right, I think people need to chill a little bit on their impact. Now the now the twin tight end sets. If Nebraska really does want to run the ball, run the damn ball, as Turner Corcoran's hat would say, mm-hmm. and as Bryce Bennard's hat would say, totally. Like, But if you're going to do that and you want to do that, you have a chance to go jumbo here too, right? Mm-hmm. A few times. I wouldn't rule that out. Kind of like Circus Stanford about you know six, seven years ago. Three tight ends and let's just see how you like the sledgehammer. Or bring in an extra tackle, right? Well, or Brent, bring in an extra, Brent Banks, bring, baby, yeah, right. Bring in a guy from, bring on a guy from the defensive side of the ball, and you know, let let him line up and do a little blocking. So, so like, you're you're saying, give me a little extra Brant Banks, assuming Corcoran heals up, and go with a little Tate Wilderman, maybe. I mean, I think you can do things like that. I think you can be creative, but I think the the amount of stock and. Um, confidence in the tight ends i think has been a little overblown like do you need do you want vocalek and allen yes are they both like all conference caliber eh, slow down maybe i i maybe think they are. i think from a mentality standpoint and a physicality standpoint they're giant losses or a giant loss if that is indeed the case because of just their body types and what they've been doing uh, Vocalek's probably been your best point of attack tight end blocker. All right. And and Allen's continued to work on it, and he's getting to a level where 
you know what, that that's a really nice part of his game along with his catch radius and all he can do along the sideline and up the seam. Just from a body type standpoint and an experience standpoint, though, I don't think there's there's much behind them right now. That and listen, I mean Hickman Hickman's trying to get back into tight end weight, right? And he's lanky and fast, and he's he's built. I'm not saying he's not, but he ain't two fifty. You know what I mean? He's not two sixty. No, no. He's not Vocalex build. There's a difference. Just when you put your hand in the dirt, obviously, with with that size as a true Gronk-looking type end-line tight end versus kind of a, a flex body type. I think – here's the thing, though. I think they've been talked up too much, and I think the fact that they're both have sat out this week has been talked up a little too much, right? It's okay, sort of like in sure. the middle. That's like, fine. Good I, call. I think, you have, I think you have a quality pair of tight ends. They're quality. I'm not saying they're not. Um, but Austin Allen's body type doesn't lend itself to, you know, being able to drive block folks and <laughs> get low. He's just too big. He's too tall. Like it's, you know, that's not an easy, I don't know. He hasn't proven to be some crazy physical blocker. You know, he just hasn't vocal like different story. He absolutely has. He's kind of your classic big 10 tight end body. Um, so that's a little bit different from a, from a run game standpoint. So they're quality tight ends for sure. They're not out for the season. They're not. Austin Allen just sounds like he's just been held out for, you know, a week, a couple days, something like that. So he's probably, unless something else happens, going to be fine for for Illinois. So you'll have him. Um, Vokalek sounds like maybe not. You probably won't have him. And that does change the dynamic. It does open the door, like you mentioned, though, for somebody like Chris Hickman, who is, I mean, you saw him in high school. Like I'm, I'm not saying Noah Fant, mm-hmm. but I am saying the dude can street down the field. Sure. I don't know what his numbers are in terms of the 40 time, right? Like in terms of w- what he's been clocked at. But I will tell you when he gets the ball and there's green space, he is unlikely to get tracked down. <laughs> so I don't know what his football's right. Like, so I don't know if he ran a four, seven or four, eight, but like as far as game speed, football mm-hmm. speed, the dude can pull away. Yes absolutely can pull away long strider i mean straightaway speed he has got that in spades and so that changes things too and is that just you know one of those things because to your point is a little slight of build he's not probably going to be able to block effectively a 280 pound defensive end a 255 pound outside linebacker that walks up he you know he's probably not going to do great against those guys but you split him out a little bit put him on a safety or something, he can absolutely do that. In fact, that's one of the things, one of the reasons why he was moved to receiver early in his career was because he was the best blocking receiving option they had. Mm -hmm. So he's got the tenacity. He doesn't necessarily have the build to do it against the huge guys, but he is an effective, tenacious blocker and he's got wheels and this open. And this is what guys like that need, right? So if you're, if you're Sean Becton, if you're Scott Frost, you have Austin Allen and Travis Vokalek. Vokalek's the, the the right body type that you need. Allen has been here for a hundred years, has steadily increased his his weight. He's six foot eight, crazy red zone threat. Obviously, you're going to go with those two, of course, right? But if you remove one of those guys from the picture, it's not like Hickman is is leftovers here. Right, he's a highly recruited guy. I think he was around a four star, wasn't he? Yeah, he's right Didn't there. I mean, yet yet other yet other uh, 
schools infiltrating Nebraska to try and get him. That was priority there to get Henrich and Hickman out of Burke. And Nebraska delivered early on in their uh, their tenure here with the Frost uh, squad. Yeah, so he's, you know, it opens up the door for him. It's not like he wasn't in the conversation because he's bad. It's just because he's a lot younger and he's not as physically developed as the other two. Well, Nebraska needed to figure out a way to use him. I mean, let's just mm-hmm. let's just your job as coaching as you know as a coaching staff is all right. If we got this body type, let's accentuate the positive, like you touched on his breakaway ability. Okay, and and that was highlighted by a teammate in the screamer. One of the co- uh, actually it was Coach Beckton that said, "Yeah, Hickman went seventy <laughs> last yeah. week up the seam." So yeah. he's he's a Kyler Reed type guy is what kind of comes to my mind. Right. Good point. Little, maybe not that fast. Right. But, but that, longer and lankier. That that type of matchup issue for either a safety or a linebacker. Yeah. The dude can go. I mean, he can absolutely go. And look, nobody in the passing game last year worked out for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You just didn't have all the pieces that you needed. You, you, you had too many COVID and injury issues and you had you're pulling Wandale into the backfield like the the offense overall mm-hmm. was just a mess you know and so I, I I don't think you can judge you look at Hickman's career numbers it's like two catches for no yards or something like it's not impressive so he hasn't done it yet but who did right <laughs> there's nobody right. well the offense itself was not very I don't think it's an indictment on what he's capable of doing it's Mark Cranack, Chris Schmidt, Will Wilson, Weekend Edition, Hail Varsity Radio. Cranack, we know that Nebraska has six guys they like at wide receiver, so push comes to, to shove in two weeks. You can go uh, – you can, you can spread it out. You can go four, five wide with your receiver options if you don't feel good about going double tight against uh, Illinois. Let's get to the running backs here before we, uh, we get to Bobby Bowden. And what what are you reading here? Uh, tea leaves say what to you uh, if you're going to handicap this running back race? Look, there's there's three there's three to four guys that, that will probably get carries. I like the fact that during some of the video snippets uh, when it came to red zone time, there was I formation. I know you're still smiling about that with a fullback. Who was that fullback there? I, didn't I think it was yeah, I think it was Yant. Okay, so. Who do you like at running back? I mean, based Irvin. on the the little window you've seen, Irvin. is is Irvin your guy? Is it yep. is it Step or is it Savion Morrison? And I don't I, know enough about Step. It's it's too. I just haven't seen we, him enough. We, we, All I've seen right. are USC highlights, uh-huh. a couple little practice clips. Savion Morrison, I like his his ability quite a bit i like his style the the slashing yeah. style's good but irvin yeah i i think irvin's the guy who came Me in too. early who's pretty mature who i think can give you a lot of everything i think he can give you power i think he can give you some jitterbug and i think he can also you know slash a little bit and i also like morrison too is is is, is an option and it's cool that he's kind of emerged uh, not only with his his work off field off season with his body, but he's just getting some development now. There is an opportunity to be developed now that things are are kind of on the right path for him uh, without some some health issues. So that's big. And then you've got a guy in in step that's 
It's been to a ton of rodeos, right? So he gets it, new program, and his mentality is perfect because he wants to be downhill. He doesn't want this finesse stuff. Uh, so, you know, good options for Nebraska. They just got to settle. You concerned about Corcoran at all? And I just bring that up because we had heard uh, about some soft tissue stuff with, with Corcoran. Nothing season ending related and I don't want to even like stir that I'm not trying to, to create or cause panic but he's not been in camp a lot because of some some lingering injury issues which gives you a chance to see Bram Banks more and they've liked him a lot but Corcoran's a dude you want obviously yeah he's I I think he's the most talented offensive sure. lineman they have yeah you know and it's so weird to say that because we've only seen him in that one game against Rutgers but he stood out he just did I mean his feet are different he moves differently he gets to the second level quicker He's big. He's strong. He, he was highly touted guy. He he does seem like their best one. And you just wonder if part of this is, look, they decided to have a very physical camp. And then they're also just they've also decided like, OK, there's a few guys that are sort of shoe ins and have a spot locked up. Austin Allen being one Corcoran being another. And if there are signs of a potential injury issue, they sit them. <laughs> yep. Right. But let's get like, that number two some work. Yeah. Get some more guys some work. Why risk it? We know what these guys are capable of. We know what they're doing. Look, Corcoran, when when uh, his very first action, I, that's as good of a freshman debut as you can possibly have against Rutgers. I mean, really, you could you could expect absolutely no more from what you got from Corcoran in his first ever game. So I think they know what they have, and I don't think they're going to risk anything. And I think that's one of your guys that's probably a top two, three round draft pick within a couple of years because he's got that prototypical size. So you don't risk it. You just don't risk it. You, you let the guy sit a little bit if he needs to. And the, the point is make sure you are ready to beat Illinois. Mm-hmm. The point is not make sure you get a good rep in a Wednesday practice against a scout teamer that you're going to dominate. That you've done 25 <laughs> times before <laughs> right. during the it's week. Like the, the risk reward there is – when in doubt, let's let's sit this guy. Mm. I think that's probably what you're dealing with there. Kradak, uh, sad day with Bobby Bowden passing last Sunday. Uh, a lot of history between Nebraska, Florida State. Both programs needed one another. Florida State needed Nebraska early in their tenure after Bowden took over anywhere, anytime. And Bowden went to the road. Some heart-wrenching losses to Florida State for Nebraska football. But it was uh, the 94 Orange Bowl with you in the stands that really turned the corner for the Nebraska program against the Florida State despite not getting the win. And there's not a Nebraska fan alive that remembers uh, anytime they see number 44 with the name Floyd on the back of the jersey that doesn't still scowl uh, in that Orange Bowl game. But, man, what... uh, what a job these two programs did kind of kind of building one another up. Yeah, they really did. And yeah, that was sad when you when you found out that uh that that Bobby passed away. He absolute legend. You know, and the the legacies are all very different, mm-hmm. but for a time there, it was Paterno, it was Bowden, it was Osborne. And those that was kind of the old guard, right? Those were the the veteran coaches that were universally respected for the products they put on the field, just so damn consistent, mm-hmm. so consistent towards the end. Not so much. 
variety of reasons there probably, but it's, it, it was, inc- I mean, he helped revolutionize the damn sport. He very similar, I think, to what you saw with, with, um, there, there's some, it's not, it's not quite one for one because of where they were located, but the fact that f- we all know about Florida state mm-hmm. and that they're a thing is because of him. They were, they were not that much of a power. They were back in the day, like in the 60s, when they had like Bolitnikov, <laughs> right? <laughs> but then they fell off for a couple decades, and he just completely revived them. And, I mean, it it's difficult to explain the level of excitement and the uh, caliber of football that you would watch when it was like Florida State, Miami. Oh. In the late 80s, early 90s. It looked like a different sport. It, it was. You know? It was NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were just like, whoa, that is so different. Um I mean, he was, you know, he was the one that brought in the he made the forward pass like what we know about it today. I think of his <laughs> shot. I think of the I think of the, uh, the the fast break offense with Charlie Ward and the shotgun. Oh, they go yeah. four wide shotgun and then the, the 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 fullback run out of the shotgun and then they line up in the eye. So we'll step away. Weekend edition continues. Are we next with the legendary Bobby Bowden, our sit-down with him back in 2015. Hail Varsity continues, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now, back with Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Coach Bowden, it's a pleasure to speak with you. How are you, sir? Fine, it's good to talk to you. Well, Coach, uh, I want to first and foremost start off with your association with uh, the Remington Trophy, and you're coming back to Nebraska, and Nebraska fans remember so many classic Florida State-Nebraska battles. Yeah, and I, I, I have many great memories of Remington, too, of how he deserves this trophy in his name, because I, as I look back through the years that I coached, which was 57, yeah. I, I felt like he's one of the best centers I saw. You kind of built up your program by going on the road and, and anyone, anywhere was kind of your mentality, and you won a lot of ball games, Coach. What made you have the, have the guts, I guess, to go on the road like you did? You played at Nebraska so many years, even through uh, through the mid-'80s. I, I wish I could claim I had the confidence <laughs> to sign that, that, that schedule. Mm-hmm. But here's what happened. When I came to Florida State in 76, they had, they are, they had already been scheduled for the next 10 years. <laughs> so you walked into it. <laughs> I, I walked into it and I always said when I re, when it reaches 1980 or 81, mm. because I had to play I had to play Nebraska, Pitt, Ohio State, Notre Dame, LSU, back to back away. And I, and I said, my goodness, I got to be gone before we get to that because I'll never get through it. You know what? But it really it ended up that, that when we beat Nebraska in 1980 in a big upset, it kind of put Florida State on the map. Coach, that following week you took out a, a thank you page in, in one of the papers. Is that correct? Yeah, I sure did because I had never been treated that good. <laughs> I, 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 I started to ask uh, the, the Nebraska fans, are y'all sure y'all know that y'all lost? <laughs> they were so they were so complimentary to us, you know. And I'll never forget that because, gosh, there's so many stadiums you play in when you walk off the field and go through the tunnel with their fans hanging over the top or go on or off, you, you get abused. 
Bobby Bowden, Hall of Fame coach with the Sale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, what do you think of college football today? You have a new four-team playoff that's implemented. Florida State's vying for a, for another championship, and the program that you built and left in such great standing. You have the SEC that's so tough to get through. You're, you're familiar with what Saban and Alabama are doing. And then there's the Big Ten. Kind of ballpark college football, if you could, with uh, with your view on it right now. Well, you know, uh, I've, I've been asked that question quite a few times. My opinion on college football today. In my opinion, on the field, it's the best I've ever seen it. Mm. It keeps getting better and better and better. I mean, the scores keep going up, and the stars are exposed, and the records are being broken. And on that, from that aspect, it's as good as I've seen it. Now, off the field, we've got another problem, and that is these young men that uh, disobey and don't, don't abide by the rules that we have for our football teams and the NCAA and, and even morality. What was your approach? Because you were a father to so many guys over so many years. You said 57 years as, as coach. I mean, how did you try and straighten some folks out? How did you keep kids from getting into trouble? I think Tom Osborne and I were very much on the same page of the way we handled it. You know, my, my thinking was always when a boy broke a rule, try to save him if you can. Uh, because I felt like if I didn't save him, he's going to be out on the streets again, and that's where it's not a good place to be, you know. Mm. So if I, if I could solve the problem by, by not kicking him off the team, but uh, there, there are other ways to discipline the kids. You know, you, you can take his meal tickets away from him, or you can take his housing away from him, or you can run him up and down the steps every morning and start at 5 o'clock. There are a lot of ways to discipline a kid, and, and I try to use those methods rather than just, you know, the fans want you to kick them off. You know, they, they like hangings. You know, they'll all show up at the hanging, you know. But I, I, a coach a coach recruits these boys and he try, tries, to, tries to treat them like, his, like he would his own son, you know. And if these fans were the father or the mother, they'd be the same way. Coach, uh, speaking of recruiting, uh, why do you think you were such a successful recruiter? I know you had a great staff, but you were the closer. And the, the talent you had down there at Tallahassee was incredible. Yeah, and we didn't come to our great, greatest success until until I became the head coach at Florida State. Mm. And that, that answers the question, mm. why Florida State? Because in the state of Florida, you got more football players you can shake a stick at. You know what? There'll be at least 150 boys come out of our state every year on, on 1A, just for 1A scholarships. And there'll be another 150 coming out of, uh, at lesser schools. So there's plenty of great players down in Florida. And if we can get our share, we're going to be good as anybody, you know. You ain't going to get them all, you know. It's 150 boys to, to sign, and you can't sign but 20, and Florida can't sign but 20, and Miami can't sign but 20. Well, there's, there's 60, 70 more boys that's going somewhere, you know. But anyway, I think being in the state of Florida, uh, I, I came in at the right time. Coach, what was your, your message? How did you differentiate I mean, Nebraska was powerful, Oklahoma was powerful, Bama had their ups and downs and then won a title in the 90s, and then there was always Florida, Miami, Florida State, that triangle. How did you differentiate from Miami and Florida when you were pitching? Well, we, uh, like I say, we 
we we just got it when we recruited. We got to get our share, gotcha. and we did that. Yeah, but Miami got their share too, and Florida got their share. You know, and other out of state schools would get some, but they wouldn't get their share. Mm. Not out of Florida, they had to get them out of their own state. And uh, as long as, like I say, as long as we got our share, we can play with anybody. And so our, the, the only games we lost back in those days, uh, ex- except exceptions, was to Florida or Miami. You know, we had, well, 10 national championships came out of those three schools in about 30 years. That means every third year, one of the Florida schools is going to win a national championship. That's the way it was back then. And then all of our programs went down. Went down. Florida went down. Miami went down. We went down. And now Florida State's climbed back on top. And Florida and Miami are just a step behind trying to get there. Let's talk, John, on, on kind of climbing up top. You mentioned and you just touched on the, the, the 10 titles between the three Florida schools. And, and Nebraska rose to power and got confidence in that 94 Orange Bowl against Florida State. What do you remember about that game, Coach, and then the run that Coach Osborne went on? Well, that's a good, that's a heck of a good point you mentioned. Tom Osborne's one of my favorite people. Uh, when Tom and I played for the national championship in 1993, I think it was 94, right. but it was after the 93 season, mm-hmm. neither one of us had won a national championship. We'd come in second, we'd come in third, we'd come in fourth, and he had done very much the same thing, but we, could, we didn't win. So everybody, oh, they can't win an national championship, can't win a big one. You know, everybody hears that. And so we won. Well, gosh, that got, that got me off the hook, you know, but there's Tom still on the hook, you know. And so, and by the way, they outplayed us that day. Uh, Miami, I mean, uh, Nebraska outplayed us that day. We were just very fortunate to win. Well, well, they missed a field goal. It's like we always did against Miami. But anyway, so anyway, but the amazing thing was Tom wins the national championship the next three years, I think. Uh, was it three in a row or three so, out of four? Uh, he could have played for, uh, they could have played for four in a row. They won two in a row and then won a third his final year. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and like I say, deserve, they deserve the win against us. But we won. And, but that, that was amazing, and I was, sure, I was so glad for him. It, it was uh, an incredible moment. How did you deal with criticism? Because you, you set a bar and a standard so high, you built it, and then you hit a level. I think you went 14 or 15 years finishing in the top five. I mean, it was yeah. incredible. Uh, yeah. how, how did you deal with, with criticism, Coach? Well, you, you're going to get it, you know. And I think, uh, you know, I had three of my sons go into college coaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing I told them, I said, now, look, you, you're going to get criticized. You're not going to win all your games. And you're going to get criticized, you know, because you're in the public eye. And if you can't handle that, you better go find another profession. Well, anyway, you know, me raising them, them coming up in my family and seeing how people got on me when we lost mm-hmm. and see how people hung me in effigy and tried to get, tried to run me off. You know, they, they've been through all that. So they knew what to expect. They went into coaching. That's the nature of the job. And if you can't stand it, get out. You know, and it, that part hadn't changed. Bobby Bowden with us, Hale Varsity Radio, legendary coach, Hall of Famer, national champion, Remington Trophy, keynote speaker coming up in January, January 17th, Rococo Theater. Coach, it was a a crazy weekend in Nebraska. Coach Bo Polini released from his duties. What's your reaction to that? Well, you know, not being there, 
I'm, you know, I'm always on the coach's side. I'm always on the coach's side because I went through that. But, gee whiz, was it nine win? Did, did he win nine games every year at least? He did, nine or ten. God, well, you know, that's one thing I found out at Florida State. When we won our first national championship, they expect you to win it every year. And, and probably the same thing on Tom. You know what? But to win nine ball games every year and then get fired, boy, you, ooh, does that mean the next guy that comes in, if he loses, if he only wins nine, do we fire him too? Or do we fire the AD? You know, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. How hard a sell is Nebraska, not only from the 9 and 10 wins dismissal side, but also from a recruiting standpoint now? You've got the brand, you have the history, but in your mind, if, if there's a, a coach that could be a fit, how hard is it for him to pull the trigger on a Nebraska job? Well, that, that you're you're right. You're exactly uh, to me what Nebraska. They've got to find the right guy, whoever that is. You know, it would be ideal if he was a Nebraskan. It'd be ideal if he played at uh, Nebraska. It'd be ideal if he's had success at a major college or, or success. You know, mm. and uh, but I think it's very important they get the right guy because football has changed. You know, the things I was telling you about uh, coaching in Florida. 150 boys signed every year to 1A. How I many is going to sign out of Nebraska? And uh, so I, I just hope they get the right guy and he can get that thing. I mean, hey, it's hard for me to say turn around when they win a nine game. You know, I got let out because I didn't win but seven, you know. But uh, anyway, good luck to them. Have you enjoyed retirement? Yes, I have. Uh, people ask me, do you miss coaching? I said, no, not one bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was 80 years old when I got through coaching and probably should have got out earlier. But, no, I haven't missed it because being retired, uh, you're free. You're free, you know. And uh, I still speak all the time. I was up in Nebraska probably a month and a half ago to attend a high school football game and make a little talk. You know, and I'll be be up there again in January. So I get to do that, and I do love that and enjoy that. I'm just I'm just thankful the good Lord's kept my health good where I could do it. Coach, a uh, pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for a few minutes. Hey, good to talk to you. Good luck to all you guys. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Back with you, Tower 2 Weekend Edition, Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Will Wilson in this morning. Uh, the Rewind to get you from Hour 1 to 2 with Bobby Bowden, the late great coach. He will have his service today, as so many will remember him. Uh, we'll spend some more time on Nebraska football. Two weeks till kickoff against the Illini. We, I know, two weeks, man. Two weeks, we are up there on the road in Champaign for uh, Nebraska-Illinois. Shows Friday, shows Saturday on the road. We welcome in uh, managing editor with HaleVarsity.com and magazine, author with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Vogues, Brandon L. Vogel with us. Vogues, should I uh, pay tribute to the Risky Business Tom Cruise character 
and rock a sports coat and shades. I will not do the old-time rock and roll thing. That's No one wants to see that. But at least, you know, there could be a little risky business tribute because it was supposed to be champagne if he couldn't get into Harvard. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes, it's, uh, I, I highly encourage that love for you in Champaign, <laughs> Illinois. Um, you know, got to have a safety school and... Worked out for what was what was the character's name? Joel. Was yeah, name Joel. Joel. Yeah, yeah. Booger yeah. was in the movie too from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, he was. I'm trying to think of the chronology. Was I think that was pre Revenge of the Nerds? If yeah. I have that correct. It, it was. He had a pipe, and he said he didn't need to pay for it. No, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, Kradak, you want to get in on the risky business discussion? Man, I need to rewatch it. I'm so bad with movie. I probably haven't seen that thing since 89. Okay. So I, 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 I got nothing on that one. It'll but make, I'll listen. I love it. Vogue, it, it made all of us as teenagers want to ride the L. Yeah, I definitely did. You know, I, I, it's been a while since I've rewatched that, too. And, I mean, the, the, the Bob Seger scene is so famous that... Like, I think the first time I kind of rewatched that as a, an adult, I was like, man, this is a really, like, weird movie that's that's really trying for something here. It, it's actually, it's really, it's a really good movie, I think. Oh, it is. <laughs> Don't get involved with Guido. Uh, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, it was pretty good. But a lot of football to get into. Before we do, uh, thumbs up, down, sideways on, on OJ telling all of us to get vaccinated. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take anybody I can get at this point. So I guess, uh, but not uh, him. Thumbs up. <laughs> but not him. Not him, Cranack. OJ just—he—he he still wields a little bit of influence, you know. I mean, he just cuts right through. Mm. What the noise? Okay. What were you? What were you thinking about? Well, I, all I needed from him with this forty-five-second Twitter video uh, with OJ. Start off, at least, and say, take it from a guy who knows sharp object. I mean, just give me some sort of, okay, that was not fair. But, I, I mean, know. Uh, we can get into, to, you know, death rates, was... death rates from COVID, death rates from OJ. I mean, we can get into all sorts of discussions there, but, you know. <laughs> That's not a very nice thing to say. No, I, I know it's not, <laughs> but, but there he is on the golf course, ticked off that he had to wear a mask into his golf club. Yeah. So yeah, that's go. where we are. That's where we, if you had if you had that predicted three years ago, kudos to you. Global <laughs> pandemic with OJ being the voice of reason. <laughs> He's still not. Vogues, how's the week grabbed you here? Uh, concern level with the tight end position. Uh, it's it's not nothing. Um, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, I guess. The long-term effects of that, I mean, it, 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 it doesn't seem like it, it's going to be anything that's, that's super long-term. But I also don't know that, uh, you know, the tight end group that I think everyone, myself included, felt pretty good about uh, a week ago is, is going to be there for Illinois. And if you're not there for Illinois, um, and it's, it's, it's a borderline decision, you probably don't play against Fordham. So all of a sudden, I'm looking at Oklahoma as maybe the first game where Nebraska has kind of its uh, its full complement of tight ends. So 
You know, it, I mean, Coach Frost was very careful with that, and I'm not, I'm not assuming anything, uh, just to be clear. But you, you kind of look at the way that the schedule shakes out, and if you are dealing with some some things there, and it sounds like Austin Allen is, you know, much closer to to being ready to go than than Travis Vokalik might be at the moment. But it's just, it, you know, and it's okay. Like, like, you know, Nebraska has Chris Chris Hickman, and I think they'll they'll be okay, and they can change some things offensively, but. It's just hard when you you have all this anticipation and you start a season, and all of a sudden you're looking like, well, well you know, now I've got to kind of handicap what I think of this offense because it doesn't have its full complement of players. But such is football. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. I've been a little uncomfortable even before this week, Brandon, with how much the and maybe it's the team as a whole. But how much the how much the tight ends in particular have been talked up, as though it's like they have you know George Kittle and Johnny Mitchell. <laughs> I mean, I think they're a quality group, but do you think there's maybe been a little bit too much of just like oh Nebraska's got these great tight there was NFL scouts there they're both going to the pros and it, it just feels like a pretty big leap compared with what we have seen from them already. Which again, I think they're quality. But I'm not sure that you're looking at like all conference caliber types. Do you see anything there? Uh, I, I would agree with you on that front. Um, I think they have all conference potential. Um, and when it comes to coaches talking about their NL prospects, like I just pretty much, you know, take that hook, log, and sinker because those guys know on that front way way better than I do, but, but you know, the, the fact remains, you can be kind of a, a fourth, fifth option in, in a college offense as a tight end and maybe have 10 to 14 catches on the year and still be a really good NFL prospect. Um, you know, it doesn't happen all that often, but it, it does happen. So in terms of the impact on the offense uh, and, and what those guys have shown so far, yeah, like they're they're long on potential. Well, they're just long in in, in general and practically speaking uh, with this tall tall tight ends group. But we we haven't seen that sort of impact from those two guys yet. Um, I think you'll see a greater impact in 2021. But yeah, I'm not ready to say that either of those those players are going to be kicking around in first team All Big Ten by the time we get to the end of the year, just because you don't have anything really to base that on so far. Yeah. Vogue's bigger concern, though, the, the tight end spot or the running back room? Well, in, in my mind, not necessarily unrelated here early in the season in particular. Like, if you're just talking about, you know, replacing the passing production, like, if Austin Allen hadn't had to miss some games, he, he was your second leading returning receiver. And even that was kind of like, well, technically he is, but he had 300 yards over nine games, which isn't or over eight games, which isn't nothing, but it's like you lost Wandale and that was 50% of your receiving yards right there. But with, with Bokelek and with the, the progress that Allen has made, uh, I worry about it more in the run game. And then you add on top of that, uh, we're still shuffling through options here, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's, I started to think more now that we're two weeks out about that Illinois game and about how really how little I know what to expect from from Nebraska's offense when we watch that. Like a couple running backs are going to play. 
Um, most of what we see from whoever that is, is is going to be new. That's going to be true at, at wide receiver. And now it, it could be true to some degree at, at tight end. Uh, really about the only knowns, quote-unquote, you have going in is a chunk of the offensive line and Adrian Martinez, which, which may not be the worst thing. You know, if Nebraska's offense comes out and looks, looks good, I'm going to guess that their offensive line had a pretty good day. You know, that's a really good point you bring up, Brandon, where it's like your top three receivers this year could be all new guys that you could not say were top three receivers last year. Your top two or three rushers, exact same deal. Um, but I think, Chris, you asked an interesting question, like level of concern. I first, I'm not very concerned about the running back spot. Do you think it'll just not, shake out? You think it'll shake out? Yeah, I, I just okay. feel like you have enough highly touted, highly recruited guys, six of them, like literally six. Yant, I guess you wouldn't count as highly recruited. Um, but you literally have six options of guys that have had multiple offers, of guys that have the only one that hasn't been on campus or doesn't have a lot of college experience is Irvin. Uh, out of those six, I mean, just law of averages tells you <laughs> you're going you're gonna to hit on at least one or two of those guys, right? I mean, I, I just don't. And I don't know exactly who it is. I think it'll be Irvin and Step with a dose of Morrison. And I don't think Scott should be counted out yet. Um, but I, I'm not. Brandon, what about you? Do, you? do you feel like it'll shake itself out and that Nebraska has enough options? Or do you feel like, no, that's a real area of concern and Nebraska better figure something out? Yeah, I think the, I think the talent level is high enough in that room that um, – it should it should shake itself out, you know. The the concern over over running back, I guess, for me, is a little bit of, of how you how you read that question. Am, am I concerned that it, it, it's hard for me to feel concerned about about it from the perspective of I don't feel like I know a, a whole lot about those guys beyond what I just said. Like I think the talent's there, um, but how it looks, what these guys can and can't do to a large degree, I don't know. Um, now, if, if you're talking about concern in the, like, well, wouldn't it be nice to have a Brees Hall and you wouldn't have to worry about it? Yeah. I mean, that, that, then that would be a concern. It would be nice to know that, you know, there's your leading rusher, rush for 1,200 yards, a Mohamed Ibrahim, for example, uh, and you just you know, feel pretty good about it. So, depending on which way you go there, I, it's hard for me to feel concerned about Nebraska's options there because I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the strengths and weaknesses of all those options are. Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio as we talk Nebraska two weeks away from the Illinois game. Um, switching over to the defensive side of the ball, you know, last last week we spent, I think probably the entire first segment just talking about the defensive line and and really feel like that's a defensive line that will be a plus for Nebraska in almost every game that they play in. The, I, I think similar to, to the offense, the running back spot, the receiver spot, I think outside linebacker is an area of you don't really know. Like I think you know who the guys are, but I'm not sure if you know what you could expect from Nelson, from Caleb Tanner, from Feldarius Payne. Are you in the same camp there, or do you think you know what you're going to get, as opposed to some of the other positions where you know exactly what you're going to get defensive line-wise, you know what you're going to get secondary-wise, but 
it seems like outside linebacker has been the spot that hasn't really landed quite yet. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, looking at kind of the the past three years as a whole. So you've had Jojo Doman, who, you know, Shenander said, I think right away in week one, has kind of like crafted this own role for himself that may right. not even be there. I don't even know, necessarily consider he, him an outside linebacker, right? Like he's he is, but he's such yeah. a high, he's so unique. Yeah, so so you've got that other spot then, which is your more traditional three four outside linebacker, and um, you have many of the same options that you haven't had or you've had in the past. But everyone's still kind of waiting for one of those to to pop, and and I think we're still entering year four. That's still where I'm at. Um, you know, Valerius Payne is somebody a, a lot of people are very intrigued by as kind of another option there. And I think that's what you're looking for for Nebraska is either a level of play that hasn't been there or hasn't been able to be there the past three years, or you're looking for somebody like Payne or even another, you know, newcomer potentially to, to jump up there and, and really take hold of that position because minus the, the other cornerback spot, um, you look at this defense and you feel like you, you know a lot uh, about what you're going to get, both in terms of strengths and the areas where uh, Nebraska's, you know, with this group of veteran guys could probably shore up a little bit, but that's okay. I mean, going into the start of the season, just knowing is, is such a big part of it. So outside linebacker and corner opposite of Cam Taylor Britt are kind of the two areas where you're like, now yeah, we'll we'll see what happens here, but those also represent pretty good. You know, if you find somebody there who really makes a splash, um, all of a sudden you're talking about projections for for defense that are higher than what should already be pretty strong. Uh, I think expectations for this group. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Back to the offensive side of the ball. There's been talk that there's going to be six receivers, and and that and those will be your main six. I tend to think it'll be more than that, though. Um, like, let's just go kind of go through. Like, so you got to figure Oliver Martin, Xavier Betts, um, uh, Samore Torre, Omar Manning. Those are, those are like four seeming like, like for sure guys. But then you got Alante Brown. You got Will Nixon, Wyatt Lever, Levi Falk. I mean, I think it's legitimately... And then potentially a Cavante Grimes or one of those younger guys. I think you're going eight deep this time around. Do you think it's really going to be cut off at six? And there's and two of those guys I just mentioned aren't going to factor. Um, I, I mean, I think I think you'll have eight. Sounds about right. The way you broke that down with the the names you mentioned, and then I would grab one of the. The, the true freshman probably because I like that group and, and I think Grimes might be my number one though Neville's pretty intriguing to me as well um, I think they'll all play I think they'll play eight receivers um, just with that many guys unless Nebraska's you know up 35 to 10 in the third quarter a whole lot you get towards the bottom of the list they'll probably be you know four or five catch guys you know, they'll be out there and they'll be gaining experience and, and you might even be able to keep a red shirt on, on a couple of them at that point. But 
Yeah, the, the wide receiver depth when you because I mean you we got what four or five deep on that list before we're we're talking about guys who who had catches a year ago. Um, that's kind of where Nebraska is at. Uh, so I think they they should be plenty okay at, at wide receiver. It's just a matter of for me right now. I figure out like okay, we know it's going to be a broad group. We know it's going to be a largely new group. How much can they do? Is there one of those guys who's ready to play at you know? a top of the Big Ten level, are there multiple guys there? And if they are, Nebraska's ability in the passing game, you know, is that's where they really, I think, start to go beyond what, what expectations are, what fair expectations are for this team in 2021. Knock on wood, you hope it doesn't happen. But say that... For whatever reason, Martinez has to come out of the game first half at Illinois. Who are you bringing in? Masker, Harburg, Smothers? Probably. Assuming you're in a tight game in the first half, uh, which you should probably be one way or the other, I, I would probably go to Masker and just the guy who's seen the most college football. Now he hasn't appeared in the game yet either. Um, but th- that early, I'm, I'm probably going Masker Smuggers Harburg and which I guess would be kind of straight down the, the chart just based on years in college football. But, you know, as this backup quote unquote battle <laughs> goes on, uh, I, I still kind of think Smothers has a slight edge on on the other two that I mentioned there, but that early, if, if Nebraska finds in that spot, I think you got to go with you got to go with the experience angle and just kind of say, "Here we go, uh, offensive line. You, you, you've got the hats, you've got the beef jerky shirts. Uh, let's <laughs> let's find out because this game just took a significant change." So. So then you employ the 1994 Nebraska at K-State offense and you yep. go I-formation. Now, there's been there's been a little sneak peek where there's a little bit of I-form and there's Yant at fullback. Do, do you see that being more than a wrinkle or do you think it's just a, an occasional wrinkle or, or do you think that could turn into a fairly core part of Nebraska's offense? I'm guessing it's still probably a, a wrinkle um, outside of a scenario like maybe we just talked about. I mean, maybe this entire time Matt Masker has been being crafted as the perfect eye formation quarterback. And, <laughs> you know, they just go full package in, package out um, and swap out the entire backfield. But I doubt that that's, that's happening. But the fact that it showed up again, um, well, one may have been, well, this is an open portion of practice, and we know that this will get out, so we might as well put this on Brett Bielema's plate. Uh, but we've seen Nebraska use it in the game before, so I wouldn't rule it out. And to be two years on from when we saw that against Ohio State, that it came back kind of kind of intrigued me a little bit. So I, I do think it's more than just a little bit of gamesmanship. I do think it's a part of the offense, how it's deployed, uh, probably will still be selective. Brandon Vogel from Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, last thing before we get you out of here, Brandon. Now, look, Nebraska's, I guess, wanted to go fast ever since Scott Frost got here. Practice fast, right? Tempo is, has kind of been what's been talked about. 
you don't hear a lot about that now. Do you think that approach, that style is kind of all but over and it's more just, I mean, you don't want to call it traditional football, but do you think, do you think that experiment might be uh, just, just gone? I, I think, I don't, I don't think it's gone. Like I think if Nebraska started consistently hitting some, some of the plays at once, um, particularly some, some more explosive plays, you could see that offense go pretty fast. I, I also think it's just part of how the game has changed. You know, when, when Frost was, was at Oregon, you know, it, it seemed like it seemed like a totally different brand of football. And then everybody did it, and defenses have come up with some ways to um, try to combat it or you just fake an injury and, and try and stop it. That frustratingly still works, although rule changes might change that a little bit this year. Um, I, I just think people have gotten used to it. It's not the advantage it once was, so there's that. And, but I also think Nebraska – hasn't had the consistent success on offense to totally kind of open it up and get up to full speed the way when this coaching staff was coming from UCF, we thought would get here sooner rather than later. Yeah. Two weeks, Brandon. Exciting. Appreciate your time today, man. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. There's Brandon Vogel, managing editor for uh, Hale Varsity. And we got Gary Sharp on the way next. Mark Cranack with you on a Hale Varsity Radio Saturday morning edition presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranack. Hill Varsity Radio Weekend Edition rolls along. Mark Cranack with you. Chris Schmidt out right now. He's got a fundraiser. That's what that dude does. He raises funds. He's a staple of the community. And so he has uh, stepped aside, and it's myself and Elijah Herbel and Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, joining us from Omaha, as he always does every Saturday. Um, God, Gary, for, for what, a decade now, roughly? Is that In it? Omaha? Um, no, a decade that you've been joining us on the show. Oh, I think it's Probably? longer than that. Yeah, because I, I was living in Florida. Wow. How many yeah, years so do you think, think it is? Um, I don't know. You remember uh, Schmidt used to have the show in Omaha. He'd have to drive yep. to Omaha and do it at 1520 yep. The Zone. Uh, yep. That was, yeah, that will, I, I think this show has been in some form going on for about 15 years. Jeez, that's good. That's good. And World. just think of all the things that we have said on the show that all came true. And that's what's great about it is that we can just speculate, prognosticate here. And it'll all come true. So let's start there. Nebraska <laughs> trots out against Illinois in two weeks. And the starting running back is? Gabe Irvin. Okay. Okay. And he goes for how many carries? Well, this is how I see the – I think there's, there's probably not much separation between Irvin's step and then drop down just a hair to Morrison. I think the number one running back at Nebraska, if it's a true number one, now it may be so close that there's one A and one B, but, God, we'd love to have a number one running back. I'd love to see the number one running back in Nebraska get 15 to 18 carries, the next guy get 12 to 15, and then maybe seven to eight. But then you have to factor in 
how many design runs there are for Adrian Martinez during the course of the game. But I think the number one running back should have at least 15 to 18 carries a game. Why are we ready to give it to Gabe Bourbon? And by the way, I agree with you. Because I think he has proven he's exactly what you want as a, a running back. Gosh, you know, you go back and, and the Big Ten Network is running a lot of classic Nebraska games, uh, whether it be Roy Hulu running wild against Mizzou or the Hail Mary game against Northwestern where Amir has to make an unbelievable play on fourth down and 15. And you watch running backs, and you know this, Mark, you've been watching Nebraska running backs as far back as the 90s when they were just churning them out right and left, is you need a guy that's a beast. You need a guy that's a game breaker. And when I see Gabe Irvin and I hear people that I really trust their opinion talk about him when they see him up close on a daily basis, he's that kind of guy that can break tackles, that can go inside, outside. He's a beast. He's a guy that can be versatile, can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's just a guy that a place like Nebraska needs is a big-time running back. Now, let's not take anything away from Step because I think him being healthy was like, whoa, and all of a sudden he got back into the mix. But I like Gabe Irvin for what Nebraska needs in this offense, and this is how it's supposed to work. You win a recruiting battle for somebody in a hotbed that is not in your own neighborhood, and you get a kid on campus, and he shows up early, and he takes advantage of his opportunities, and he rises up to be the number one. Boy, how much of a selling point is that? Not only for your current program, where, man, if we have our number one running back for at least three years, and you can sell it to other players, hey, you come early, we're not afraid to play young guys. I think he could be a Terrell Davis-looking guy within a couple of years. I think he's, well, he's close, right? Like, I just think well, build-wise, he's pretty similar there. Yeah, and I'm curious, you know, I think you look at his body, and he's still young. Um, you know, how is his body going to transform as they see what he does against Big Ten defenses? Does he have to get a little bit sleeker? Does he have to, you know, bulk up a little bit? Um, I agree with you. I think it's another thing that I notice a lot uh, in film that you see or the limited time we got to see him during the spring is he's got one of those first steps. You know, we always talked about Amir's first step, that first mm-hmm. cut. Um, I think Urban, as he adjusts to the college game, he kind of shows you that ability, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Plus, one thing I have not heard about him is fumbling the football, and anybody that holds on to the football has a chance to stay in the lineup. You're right, Gary. I mean, what, what you've seen on film, and then I think even in the spring game, is he, he, he welcomes contact, he initiates contact. There's no concerns there. There's no finesse in and around the line of scrimmage, but he has some once he gets to the second or third level. Let's let's move over to tight ends. Um, we asked Brandon about this too. Uh, look, are, are we overblowing the abilities and the potential of Austin Allen and Travis Vokalek? I think they're good, but I feel like the way they have been talked about is maybe over the top. Where, where do you sit on what Nebraska has at tight end there? I don't think they can talk enough about Austin Allen. Really, Mark? I think I think he is talented enough. He just hasn't been. They haven't. I don't think given him the full range of what he can do. But when they hmm. do involve him in the passing game or in other elements of their offense, I think he's very stout. I think he's got you know great height. He's got great hands. I think he's got great awareness. Um, he's a guy that's on my radar to to be in the All Big Ten discussion, first, second, third huh. team uh, this year. Vokalek, I'm still waiting on. I, you know, Travis Vokalek, when he transferred from Rutgers, there was a lot of hype about him. And, and last year probably wasn't fair. We didn't see a lot at him. And even though there was, hey, we're going to involve the tight ends, you look at the numbers last year, they weren't great. 
even though they tried, now you try again this year. Um, I think the Allen stuff is really, really, that's real. I believe that. I'm still waiting on Vokalek. Here's the thing with Allen. I know what you're saying. I think he's, I think he's pretty athletic. Um, he obviously has a really unique frame um, for a tight end. You just don't see human beings built like that playing the sport of football too often. But that's what worries me about him. It's really less about him uh, and his abilities and more like I saw that dude take some real shots last year. And I think because of how he's built, I, <laughs> there's just so much surface area there. To I, I think he just gets smoked. Right. And, and, and I think until he learns how to protect his body a little bit more and or has a quarterback that allows him to do so. I, man, I just don't see him going through a 12 game season, but because yeah, I just think you have so many opportunities to get really clean shots on that dude. I think that's fair. Um, but I also think it's fair to say with his quarterback helping him out is a different this year. Uh, you know, the Austin Allen is the new tight end of college football and football in general. You know, everybody would love to have a Kyle Pitts type guy from Florida that is in the NFL with the Falcons. Um, but if you have tight ends like that, and we're seeing that the tight end position has evolved in, in college football. It's not just an inline blocker and, hey, you get to go out once in a while. It's somebody who is featured in the passing game. And I think for Nebraska's passing game, the way they want to use the tight ends, it opens up the middle of the field if you can get them the football and you you look at who's coming at tight end, whether it be Thomas Fedoni on the sidelines or, or Ben Bramer, who's now a four-star, who's coming you know, in the, in the class of 23 from Pierce. I think Austin Allen is that guy. You know, he's a, He could play Division One basketball, um, but he's such a great multi-sport star at Aurora. I really like him. I, I, I think he's got a chance to just blossom this year, and I think he's got a chance to not only take that position to where they want, but I also think take himself to the NFL. Um, but you're right. He needs to he needs to learn how to take hits because he does leave his body out there. I mean, we've seen against Iowa last year, Ohio State a couple of years ago. He takes some he takes some big hits, but he's not afraid to go and get the football. And I think until you get the accuracy thing down, I think that's pretty important for for Allen and any tight ends. Is they're in the neighborhood of range of catching the football. You just put it in the neighborhood, and he's going to go get it. Can Chris Hickman emerge as a big play threat? Uh, good question. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed in Chris, and it's not entirely on him. You know, it's bouncing from tight end to wide receiver, back to tight end. I think he can. I mean, we saw it in high school. I think he has that ability. The whole thing with him, and there's a lot of guys that fall into this category on this roster, is if they're healthy. It's the, but. If he's healthy, I think he has an opportunity really to show up. He's got good hands. He's got good speed. You know, he doesn't really look like a tight end. Uh, can he stretch the defense? I don't know if they're there yet with him. Can he play in the middle of the field? Definitely. He's some guy to watch. And, you know, he's, he's probably now, two weeks from today, got more of an opportunity to be involved. And he was a guy, I don't know if you, Mark, were thinking this, He's a guy that if the entire tight end room is healthy, because then you'd have Thomas Fedoni, who we know would at least be number three, like the odd man out, and you're going, man, what happened to his career? What a great opportunity for him. But he hasn't shown us. We don't have much of a size other than a little brief one back in his first year out in Maryland to go, okay, what can this guy do? We have to rely on what we saw in high school. I think he can do it, but he's got to stay healthy. And then they've got to give him the opportunity. We'll see if they trust him. Like, if he plays in two weeks or, 
or the following week against Fordham. Let's see how much trust the staff has and what kind of routes they have him running. You know who we have not heard about hardly at all is Alante Brown. What? Um, look, this guy, he saw the field really early last year. He's 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 that Swiss Army knife type. Special teams, offense, end arounds, passing game. Uh, you know, he's got a ton of ability. Does does he see the field a lot this year? Isn't it strange that he kind of has disappeared? Not not physically, but the discussion because you're right, Mark, and we probably talked about this last year and it might have been shortly after the Iowa game or one of the early games where he was utilized in a couple of different roles with Wandale on the field with him. Um, I think the injury in the spring really set him back because he didn't get he didn't get a spring. And then you have all these new wide receivers that come in that are developing, and he's almost like he's passed by. You know, no, people don't talk about him. I I would be really surprised if he found a way into the top six, and that's surprising because when he has the ball in his hands. Um, I like him, but you know it's also do they know what to do with him? Uh, but again, he's another guy that got to stay on the field. You got to be you got to be healthy. But that might be a good sign, though. Somebody who we believe in as a talent can't get on the field because there's so much depth there. That that you could play that both sides on that being a positive for Nebraska. I think this is the most coy we've heard a coaching staff be about who's going to play and who's not going to play. Out of any preseason that I can remember, can can you compare this off season to any other? I mean, some of them just kind of are, are the same, and you know, I I can't think of another off season where it feels like the ranks have been closed so much, and where there's so much unknown uh, offensively about who are you going who are going to be your top ball carriers, who are going to be your top receivers. We can guess, but we don't know. <laughs> Do you think some of this is the coaching staff for guys like Marvin Scott, Alante Brown, guys that saw the field early? Do you think maybe those guys actually are factors, but it's just they close ranks so much that we just we just don't know, <laughs> and they're not telling well, us? Do you, th- you think, Mark, it's the coaching staff not knowing what they're going to get? I-, I think these guys, they like the offensive side of the ball. They like the camaraderie. They like the competition. They like certain things that they've seen now for eight months. But they also don't know what they're getting when the lights come on. And I think that might be a little bit of, okay, we don't want to go all in publicly. Privately, Mm. we like what we have, but we want to see it in a game first. That might be the case here because certain coaches have gotten burned by things they've observed and saying it publicly, and then the game starts and you keep score and guys aren't the same that they were during the week, and that's all that matters is on Saturday um, for all of us that put optics on it. So that might be a little bit of the case. I think this staff really likes this football team. I think they, I think they have done some course correction over the last year of things that they thought maybe in year two would be fixed, like culture and, and things about, okay, younger guys, older guys. Nebraska got old, and the whole key is to get old and stay old. Uh, and that's kind of happened. So I think the staff really likes this football team that they've assembled, and they like talent. They're deeper at certain positions. I think there's just a great unknown that 
maybe keeps you up a little bit at night of what's going to happen in two weeks. You like what you've assembled, but do guys fall back on things that have ailed them in the past, or have they moved on, and you're going to see guys perform differently than you've seen in their last year or the year before? That's what we don't know. That's why I think this year is so intriguing, not only in Nebraska, but across college football, because there's so many unknowns. I know less about this football team than I think I've known in a while of a football team. So we usually have a good sense of what the season's going to be like. This team, it just kind of, you know, you're waiting to see mode, but you're also like, okay, what is he going to do? I like what I hear. I like what I see. But I, 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 it's, it can either be exciting or it can be, oh, boy, depending on how you look at that. But I, that's how I feel about this team is we know less about this team than the previous, I would say, you know, previous teams under Scott. It's, well, it's true because you're thinking, you know, probably the most touted receivers, save for Xavier Betts, Omar Manning, and Samore Torre, who have a combined, what, one catch? Did Manning get a catch last year and they get one or two? Um, and then your top two backs are probably Gabe Irvin and Marquis Stepp and Sevion Morrison, who have a combined zero yards ever at Nebraska. I mean, you, you were just counting so much. Maybe that's a the better question, Gary, is can you remember a year where Nebraska was counting on people that have literally never done it at this level? I, I can't no. think of a single year in all the years we've been covering where there is that little known, despite the talent. Take the talent aside and the potential aside, but just, just pretty much zero returning production. Uh, it's it's it can be exciting or it can be a little unnerving. But you're right. There's there's I mean ball catchers and guys that are going to run the football. You don't really have much to go off of what they've done in the past. You just have to hope that what you've built up for eight months comes true in two weeks. Um, and that can be exciting or it can be uh oh because what if it doesn't pop uh, right away? But there's I just this feels to me. This program is a lot of the things that were talked about in the first year and a half, two years, are being you, – you're starting to see it now in year four, if that makes sense. Um, the way guys talk, uh, say, hey, we want the, the older guys to hold the younger guys in check and, and vice versa. I hear more of that this year than you thought, you thought it would be in there like year number two. So maybe Nebraska, it's taken them four years, but they've crossed the line, in my opinion, of – now it's go time. Any excuse you can come up with has been eliminated. They put them in a position to succeed. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. And that's what we all kind of want to see. I think that's if I'm a coach, that's what I want to see. We've gotten to this point. It's been a rocky first three years. We've gotten to year four. We like where we're at. We like the roster we built. We like what we build internally. Now let's go play football. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, then that's, hey, it's not going to work out. But if it does, then it just took a little bit longer. So 2007, going into that season, people were feeling pretty good. 2017, people were feeling pretty good because Tanner Lee was that quarterback, and he throws a beautiful football. We know how those <laughs> things went. We're, we're, we're not looking at one of those, right? Like, just please tell me that that is, like, just not even a possibility that the thing's going to crater, right? I don't I, – you know, if it did, I would be shocked, and that would tell you everything you need to know. I, I've said – from the time we flipped the calendar, 
They were Nebraska walks off the field against Iowa on Black Friday. You know everything you need to know about this program. Either they're going in the right direction or they're not going anywhere. Uh, I don't see a crater. I just think there's, especially on the defensive side of the football, and I'll throw some offensive guys as well in there, I think there's way too much pride that's on this roster this year to let things just completely implode. Guys didn't come back for an extra year to go, yep, let's go ahead and suck again, and this miserable feeling. They came back because either they saw something, they saw something with the team, they saw something in themselves, and, and they don't want to leave it. They don't. They, they want to leave the place better than they've had in their career. I mean, that says something. And so then you get that trickle-down effect of I'm playing for the guy next to me. All right, I'm a younger guy in defense. I don't want to let down Joe Dillman. I don't want to let down Ben Stilley. I don't want to let down Deontay Williams. They came back for a reason. Um, oh, you know, and there's talent there. So I, I think there's a lot of different elements that makes Nebraska the great unknown. Because I can tell you, two weeks from today, when we're talking – we're three hours from kickoff. There's going to be a lot of nervous people not knowing exactly <laughs> what Nebraska is going to look like when you roll it out there. Um, no, it's going, and, it's and, going to be amazing. And, yeah, it's, but that's what I, – I just think across – you brought up 07. Across college football, that was one of the craziest years we've ever had. If you look at the top teams in college football this year, they'll basically all have new quarterbacks or somebody returning that has little or no experience. I, I think we could see just a wild year of college football like we had in 07, and that could be here as well. Mm, Gary, it's going to be awesome. Two more weeks, sir. We'll uh, talk to you again next Saturday, and that'll kind of kick off game week. Looking forward to it. Appreciate your time today, Gary. Hey, thanks, Mark. All right, there's Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse. Elijah, we got to get out, right? Am I late? Yep, we got to go. Okay, we got to go. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Brandon Vogel. Thanks to uh, Gary Sharp. Talk to you next weekend. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery.